You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today, we have another report from Prairie Canada. The waterfowl hunting season is well underway up there in Canada. It's getting underway here in the States. Of course, non-residents are still not permitted to, uh, or at least not easily permitted to enter Canada for the purpose of hunting. And so we're all, we're, we're clamoring for information out of the prairies. What are the duck numbers looking like? What are the hunter numbers looking like up there? We've heard from Scott Stevens on a couple of these already. Um, and we have an opportunity here to connect with another one of our guests from a previous episode, Pat Kehoe, Ducks Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of International Partnerships. Pat, thanks for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. No problem. Glad to be here. We're going to jump right in. And I know uh, when we last spoke, you were you were mapping out some of the hunting that you were going to be doing over the the subsequent weeks. And I think that was going to be, you know, leading into the opener, opener there in September. And I know those dates have now passed. I know you have been out you have been chasing birds. And so I want to just ask you, let's back up to those the early part of that hunting season. I think you were going after cranes, sandhill cranes to be exact. How how did that go? Were you successful in your in your pursuit of those birds? Oh, very much. Uh, the sandhills were, were great this year. We hunted uh, central Saskatchewan, um, areas, major crane staging area. We, we did very well on sandhills for the, the, the Labor Day weekend and went back at them sort of in mid-September and they were still there in big numbers. And uh, we had some great sandhill hunting. We started hunting them over decoys in, in the last few years. Up till now, I've been a past shooter, but about four years ago, we got a decoy spread and tell you what, sandhills over decoys are a lot of fun. Uh, you went exactly where I was going to because we spoke with Scott Stevens about that. He typically does some past shooting and that's the only way that I've ever done it. Uh, Scott was telling us about his uh, his experience hunting over decoys and how how exciting it was. And so I'm going to have to get up there and try that at some point. So you have you you too then have moved from pass shooting to hunting over decoys. What about crane calling? I have to go there also. Do you use a crane call or do you just try to get to where they want to be? I, I don't have a crane call, but what, what works well is a for me anyways is a just a white front, a speckle belly call, and doing a a trip through the mm. through the call make that bugling sound of the crane that seems to work just fine get their attention once you get their attention they're locked on the decoys they just quiet down and they they tend to come right in yeah yeah i think scott is is a bit challenged in in his ability to trill as ours so he just kind of flaps his gums from what i understand <laughs> <laughs> tries to make appropriate I, 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 I believe it <laughs> yeah okay so you did you did well on cranes and then i think you took a bit of a break uh what was your next outing what did you get out and do uh thereafter yeah well the, the next round was was uh mid-september about the 20th of september so late september i guess mid to late september we went after snow geese and and white fronts and uh focused on the geese we, we did well on cranes again and uh 
we didn't have huge success on on the uh, snow geese. We did well on the white fronts and and uh, sort of central uh, Saskatchewan, a little west of where I normally hunt the cranes. Uh, but snow geese seem to have had a really poor breeding year. There's very few young in the flocks, big flocks of adult birds, and uh, just very difficult to, to to decoy. So we we switched back to pass shooting on on the snow geese and did did pretty well a couple of times on pass shoots on snow geese. But uh, tough year for for snow geese over decoys. Just not a lot of young. Now, having said that, we've also had very open weather in in in, uh, in Canada up to this point. It looks like it's going to start to freeze the end of this week. But we haven't had those. Uh, those flocks, uh, large flocks of snow geese come down. Generally what happens with snow geese is the first flocks that come down into Prairie Canada are adults and failed breeders. The young follow later on. So we, there may have been a bit of two things going on. We we're a little early given the weather for big flocks with young in them, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of production going on from what we saw. Now, specs on the other hand, when we got into them, they were looking pretty good for, for numbers of youngs in, in the flock. And, and we did very well on specs for, for three days over in uh, central western Saskatchewan. That's good to hear. I want to follow up a bit on that on that kind of production outlook for the snow geese. I, I, the, now, the birds that you would be getting there in the in Prairie Canada are going to be from the mid-continent population of snow geese. We have to remind folks that there's also a western population over in Wrangell Island up off the off of Russia and then to the east you get you get into some of those uh, the greater snow geese mostly the farther east you go and so the the only birds that you're able to kind of speak about right now with respect to what you're seeing in terms of uh, recruitment would be the mid-continent. I did see a report uh, I forget where that was Something encouraging, I think it was an encouraging report with re, with respect to production out of Wrangell Island, and I haven't heard anything out of the east. Do you have any insights on either of those areas? I, I don't. You know, with with the, uh, with the pandemic, the COVID, a lot of the, most of the researchers weren't unable to work in the Arctic this summer. So, our, you know, my normal contacts that would have spent the summer in the Arctic studying nesting geese and doing banding weren't up there. So we don't have any good reports. All we're relying on is sort of the weather reports. And it sounds like uh, most of the Arctic was a, a late thaw, which equates to poor breeding generally across the across the board. But like everything else, I'm sure there's pockets up there that were, were conducive to breeding. So depending on where you're at in the flyway and, and where the birds are coming, you may may experience a little better hunting than I did on, on snow geese. But generally, the central Arctic birds in, in Saskatchewan, from what I saw anyway, had, had a very poor breeding year. And I think about the only source of you know, large-scale data collection to help us draw some more confident conclusion on production out of the mid-continent is going to be coming from the Canadian Wildlife Service and some of their surveys there on the staging areas. I think I spoke with Frank Baldwin a month or so ago, and he said they were planning on on conducting those surveys. I believe those surveys have, if they haven't been finished, they're underway, uh, and they're still trying to do some data summarization. Uh, but we're going to, we'll, we'll connect with Frank or someone else up there here in the coming weeks and see if we can get, uh, you know, sort of put a bow on on our understanding as best it is of what production out of the mid-continent might be so our listeners can can look forward to that, uh, hopefully. You know, I can't promise that you're going to look forward to the results, but you can at least look forward uh, to that report. Yeah, I, I know there's uh, there's folks from Canadian Wildlife Service out doing age ratios. That is, you know, they're going out scanning flocks and counting how many young are mixed in the in the flocks and, and that sort of thing. So that'll be a, a bit of a different type of data than we've looked at in the past to get a handle on production. But uh, 
but it's, uh, I guess I'd have to say better than nothing yes. for, for in terms of forecast. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it was encouraging news to hear that you've at least seen some good production out of white fronts, at least based on the flocks that you encountered. I think that'll make people excited. What else have you been able to do? It's been a while since we spoke. So have you been out to chase uh, chase ducks at all yet? Yeah, I, I, I've done a little, little duck hunting. I just spent the, the weekend in Manitoba here, uh, put a couple of days in Delta Marsh and, uh, and uh, there was not a lot of birds there, but again, with the open weather, you know, all the small marshes and potholes are still open. The birds generally don't roll into those uh, larger staging marshes to get freeze out. So it's pretty tough to pretty tough to give that as a as a good indication. Having said that, even though there weren't lots of birds around, we did some great diver hunting uh, over the weekend. Um, that area in central Saskatchewan that I did most of my goose and crane hunting in, very dry. Did not see a, a honestly did not see a duck hunting opportunity over fields in that area, which is uh, which is unusual. Uh, I did uh, do a bit of touring in Saskatchewan in the last uh, six weeks, and uh, you get up into the the northern parkland boreal fringe area. Water conditions are, are very good, and there was quite a few ducks up and up in that country. And as I mentioned earlier, when we talked last. Uh, Alberta, particularly Parkland and Northern Prairie, Alberta, are are very wet. So there are areas where there has been good duck production, no no question about that. But overall, I'd have to give the the prairie of prairies of Canada sort of a a less than average score for for duck production this year. How far south into Saskatchewan have you gotten? I know that was the area that was driest coming into the spring, probably persisted as the driest uh, throughout the summer, and I'm guessing it's going to continue to be the driest. How far south there did you go? Yeah, I, I drove our, our Trans-Canada Highway, which basically, if you look at a map of Canada, goes from Winnipeg right to Regina. So, and I went a little south of there just to see what conditions were, but it was it was very dry uh, between Winnipeg and Regina that that southern Trans-Canada route. Uh, and it wasn't until you got north of Saskatoon by about an hour that you hit started hitting good water, and then Yorkton area and. Uh, and even western Manitoba, uh, north of the Brandon area, people may be familiar with Minnedosa, uh, area where a lot of duck work has happened in the past. That that area is fairly good too. So they say there's pockets that are gonna gonna help keep the numbers up, but overall it's it's a little less than what we've experienced certainly in the last ten to fifteen years. So Pat, what type of what type of weather developments would or should we be hoping for to kind of help turn things around there with regard to drought conditions? Are we going to, uh, what's the likelihood of getting any kind of precipitation between now and when things freeze up? And uh, you know, just what, as a, as a duck hunter and you having lived there for a number of years, what do you look for to help turn things around this time of year? Because what happens now can carry over and does carry over to influence the way things will shape up in the spring. Absolutely. What happens in the next six weeks and, and really the next six months is critical to what things will look like next year. Uh, ideally, I mean, if, if, if had your wishes as a, as a, as a duck hunter, you know, we'd like to see some rain happen here in the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, so when it does freeze three to four weeks from now, the ground will be frozen, good frost seal. Then we need snow through the winter. And that when that snow melts in the spring, that frost seal will prevent a, a, a pretty major runoff, allow the potholes to, to fill up. And uh, 
spring snow, uh, April, May, you know, May, even here in Canada, snow early May is, is great for duck productions that March, April, May period is, is critical. Usually that's when we get our, our deepest snow. It's cold up here in the winter, right? So when it's 40 below, you don't get a lot of snowfall. It's that spring period and, and early fall when we really get the snow up here that, uh, that leads to runoff in the spring that leads to good duck production. Having said that, you know, if, if we get rain in May and June, uh, that can, that can certainly help things turn around as well. I've seen that a number of times on the prairies where things have been dry. You get a rain uh, early June, ducks show up literally out of nowhere because it's been dry and, uh, and they will, will produce young. Not as good as if you have those conditions that line up with your late fall rain, good freeze up, snow through the winter and good runoff. That's the ideal situation, but there are, there's still lots of hope between now and next year. We've got, six to eight months for things to turn around here and uh and uh they certainly can i've seen it happen before and uh uh we we hope it will again but as i said the past call, call we had uh drying these wetlands out is critical to long-term production that is if a wetland remains wet for for 10 20 years its productivity goes down you need those wetlands to dry out from time to time so when the water comes back there's good uh, good aquatic vegetation growth good invertebrate production good productivity and that's those that's all the duck groceries there that the ducks need to produce uh, produce a clutch of eggs and, and raise their young so without that drying period that happens from time to time in prairie canada when we've got to suffer through slightly lower duck populations than we'd like you're not going to have that high long-term productivity so it's all part of a cycle you and your dog are a team fuel is best in the field and in life with purina pro plan sport made for hard-working dogs of all ages every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina try it today and see why pro plan is the official dog food of ducks unlimited Learn more at ProPlantSport.com. It goes together. Pat, we've talked about weather here a couple of times already. So kind of give us a good picture of, of weather conditions up there in Canada. Uh, what have they been over the past few weeks? What are they now? And what are they looking like over the next uh, seven to 10 days based on your forecast? Yeah, uh, it's unseasonably unseasonably warm here, I would say. In fact, I mentioned the Delta Marsh uh, Friday. There was still a lot of blueing teal around the marsh, which is unheard of for the for the second week of October in, in Canada. As you know, teal season's open in the, in the southern states in early September. Well, it's been warm enough that we still have good numbers of teal. A little cold front came through on Friday night and sort of we lost the, lost the last of the blueings. Uh, but, uh, but things have been open. We're not going to have much freezing till the end of this week. Uh, past years, the past two or three years, uh, heck, there was one year, I think it was three years ago, we had our first snowfall on September 16th, 17th. Uh, October 1st is not uncommon for snow, but at this point, we haven't seen any. Daytime temperatures have been 60 to 70 degrees. And uh, nighttime has been running in the 40s to 50s, so we haven't had a major freeze up yet, which becomes problematic for us as duck hunters up here because we like those small wetlands to freeze so those birds start concentrating in the bigger water, and we, we haven't even seen that happen here yet. And so then this later this week, I think you intimated that there's going to be some weather coming coming in here pretty soon. What's that looking like? Yeah, it's looking like we're going to have daytime highs in the, in the, uh, in the high 30s, low 40s, and nighttime lows in the 
in the high 20s, low low 30s. So we should have certainly those smaller ponds freezing up by the by the weekend. I expect bigger water is going to stay open because it has been warm. Bigger water, uh, meaning larger marshes and, and lakes, will stay open for another two or three weeks if that weather persists. If, if it uh, warms up again, all bets are off. I mean, I have seen open water here in, in Manitoba as late as the 20th of November, but that's rare. Usually we're frozen here pretty good by by 1st of November. Halloween is, is sort of the, the end of the run generally for, for duck and goose hunting in, in, in Manitoba. Yeah. You know, and Pat, it just occurred to me, we are recording this on October 12th, Monday, October 12th. And so I have to say happy Canadian Thanksgiving to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I did not it did not occur to me that we ask you to come in and record a podcast uh, on on what is a Canadian holiday. So man, we we owe you an extra kudos uh, for your dedication to the podcast. Uh, not talking talking about ducks is like a holiday anyway. So what the heck? <laughs> okay, well, that makes me feel better. Well, all right. So a little bit of a detour here, then, considering that I just uh, that I just realized we have Canadian Thanksgiving going on. What did you have for your meal? Did you cook up one of those cranes? I got a speck on the on the uh, thawing out here for the uh, grill tonight. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Happy for you. Um, not so happy for myself. Haven't asked that question. Now I'm jealous. But I will say I did I did roast a, a hindquarter of a yearling deer here over the weekend. So that was not a bad alternative. Absolutely not. We'll, we'll have deer season here in another uh, couple of weeks. So a little bit of time for that to happen. But uh, yeah, no, nothing like a hindquarter young deer. All right, let's get back on track here. I'm going to make myself hungry. We uh, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the big question that we've had repeatedly on some of our conversations uh, with you as well as Scott and, and others relates to uh, of course, the continued closure of the border and what that has, is meaning for the num- has meant for the number of hunters on the landscape. I think some of us early on said, yeah, you know, it's probably, yeah, you're going to see fewer hunters, but I doubt if it's actually going to have an effect on, on the migration, the rate and timing of the migration. really need to look at, at weather patterns for that. And while, while weather pattern is always the key stimuli for, uh, for influencing movements of birds as it interacts with the availability of food, uh, what are you seeing with regard to uh, hunting pressure, or maybe I should say the lack thereof? And what, um, how are your thoughts changing or recalibrating at all relative to the the potential impact of that on waterfowl movement out of Canada this year? This is uh, certainly the least hunting pressure I've experienced probably in thirty years on on in Prairie Canada. Uh, you know, American uh, non non resident hunters really started taking off here in the uh, the early eighties through uh, through nineties. You know, and recent years peaked and, and and outnumbered Canadian hunters in in Saskatchewan and uh, I believe Manitoba as well. Uh, so the non resident hunters up here really are a, are a, are a force when they're on the landscape. This year, of course, there's, there's virtually none due to the border closure. Uh, I'm thinking, though, the weather patterns that we're seeing here, this, this wide open weather that we've had is going to have a bigger impact on birds staying around than, than lack of hunters. It'd be hard to separate the two, I guess. But, but certainly, uh, when I hunted in Saskatchewan, I ran into a few, very few local hunters, largely on the weekends. There was nobody hunting, else hunting really through the week at all, which is very, very different. The area I hunt, I normally see four to six groups of Americans in the hotels and restaurants, that sort of thing as they're, you're, uh, you're eating and, and, uh, and in town for fuel and whatnot. None of that this year, which 
is also a very negative thing, obviously, on the local economy. Outfitters up here are hurting bad. Uh, the small restaurants and bars in Saskatchewan that rely on those non-resident hunters for a big chunk of their income for, for six weeks of the fall, it, it's just not happening. So there's a, you know, talking to people in, in small towns, people are are not really happy about the border closure and local economy up here. Oh, I would imagine. I would imagine. Yeah, the 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 economic impact on those small communities was certainly not lost on me as I started to think about that, knowing how um, how we spend money every time we go there. We stay in some of those those little rural communities and really enjoy the experience we have. That the people are always nice and accommodating, and and they're more than happy to take our take our money. So they're certainly missing out. Absolutely, on that no, this it's, year. it's a big deal. I mean, yeah. here in these small towns, they don't see very many people on a, on a normal day. You know, but when when the hunters come to town, you know, a restaurant that might have five to six people in it for breakfast normally would have twenty to thirty, and that, that's a huge boost to the local economy. No doubt about that, Pat. Have you noticed any? And this is going to be hard for you to tease apart, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you noticed an effect on waterfowl behavior there? I mean, waterfowl in Canada are going to decoy readily anyway, but have you noticed any change in behavior of of waterfowl or cranes as a result of the lighter pressure? Yeah, well, absolutely. We talked about pass shooting and, and certainly for cranes, a lot of people pass shoot cranes sort of as a, as a pastime, you know, secondary to goose or duck hunting when they're up here in the fall. That's not happening this year. It's not happening with pass shooting snow geese either. So birds are flying a lot lower. Pass shooting success this year was, uh, was a lot higher for me than it, than it has been in recent years when you have a lot of hunters in the area. Those birds just aren't getting educated to the same extent as, as they do in a normal hunting year. So, so, it, from a selfish perspective, it's not been a, been too bad in terms of success rate, but uh, but clearly there is a is a is a change in uh, change in waterfowl behavior when you don't have that uh, that uh, constant pressure. Snow geese were certainly easy to pattern, uh, easier to pattern because they're not getting bumped out of the fields like they they would when you know, there's a lot of hunters around, people hunting the fields that they were in the night before. They go set up the next morning. Uh, that isn't happening. So geese, we're using the same fields four, five, six days in a row till they, they ate them out. So yeah, there's definitely uh, definitely a clear behavioral response in these birds to, to lack of pressure. Well, the silver lining to that might be that once those birds do cross over into the U.S., maybe they'll be a, a bit more vulnerable for the, some of the hunters here on the U.S. side. I do know I've heard of a few people, uh, maybe more than a few people might be a fair way of saying it, that are planning a trip north into uh, North Dakota and perhaps some of the other states up there. So maybe they will reap some of the rewards of some more vulnerable geese that are, uh, you know, whenever they come out of Canada. Well, you know, I, I certainly think there's going to be a, a difference how, how quickly they get educated with hunting pressure in, in North Dakota, because I understand it could be pretty high this year. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But certainly those first few flocks that come down have not been educated to the extent they might be in an average year. Well, Pat, looking at my list of questions here, I think that about covers it. But what I wanted to do before we close out is give you an opportunity to share anything else that I might have missed that you think would be important to, to share. Hopefully things will be back to normal next year and a lot of your listeners will be taking their regular trips here north. Uh, even though it's competition for me, welcome the, welcome the company in, in Prairie Canada. And it's certainly a place that uh, I'd encourage most hunters to, to experience at least once in a lifetime, if not make an annual trip out of it. Uh, hunting can be great up here when when uh, when things are right. Unfortunately, this border closure has compromised a lot of individuals' ability to get up here as well as uh, as 
hurt our, our local economies uh, in, in the prairies and certainly the outfitting industry. So hopefully next year things will be back to normal and uh, and we can talk again in a more normal year about what's going on in Prairie Canada. Yeah, no doubt. And I will say that has been pretty much the universal sentiment among the people that we've spoken with in Canada with regard to the effect of the border closure on reducing the number of, of non-resident hunters. Uh, it's from, like you said, from a selfish standpoint, you kind of enjoy the lack of pressure, but you also uh, you also can can sympathize with those with this hunt, those hunters not being able to come north and have always spoken very favorably about. Uh, about the prospects of returning to normal and seeing all those non-residents come back up there next year. And so with any luck, I might be among them. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see how that goes. But uh, Pat, that's going to wrap it up for us. Again, we thank you for sharing your time with us and, and your observations from Prairie Canada. And good luck to you the rest of the season. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. And, uh, and hopefully we'll talk again. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Pat Kehoe of Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of International Partnerships. We certainly thank you, thank him for his observations from, from Saskatchewan and Alberta and all, all the rest of the prairies. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work that he does on all aspects of this podcast. And of course, to you, the listener, you're the most important part of this effort. We thank you for your time spending with us, listening to the podcast, sharing it with your friends, and most importantly, your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. <laughs>